Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Washington, D.C. rebel conservative Wells King of American Compass, a political action think tank organization known as the anti-establishment right, tells how our nation, both left and right, has gone off course. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Bruce Cook tonight on Angels Radio. As I always start the show, I am honored that you've got your radio tuned to 8.30 tonight. We have an hour together to learn something, to share some thoughts, maybe even make a difference. I want to start with a strange thing that I came across on Instagram this week. Maybe many of you you saw it. Of course, I don't know how many of you Angels people out there in Los Angeles and Orange County, California, are looking at Instagram. But if you're not, this was a response to the cancellation this week of a couple of very familiar and longstanding cartoon characters, specifically uh, Pepe Le Pew and, uh, from Looney Tunes and, and Speedy Gonzalez, names that have been familiar in culture. Anyway... It angered one person on Instagram, and I won't give you his name, but here's what I saw, and let me read it to you, and it really made me think. This Instagram guy said, I'm glad that Pepe Le Pew has been canceled and my children are safe. He went on to say, Now my son can get back to playing Grand Theft Auto where he just set a hooker on fire so he didn't have to pay her. Outrageous. An exaggeration, perhaps, but the point is our culture, our nation, our politics, and all of you know this, we're off track. We have run amok. Where's the truth? Where's the reality in in our lives? How is it that we can that we can attach our feelings, our beliefs, our hopes to anything when there's such nonsense going on, and it's everywhere from the top to the bottom. So from that point, let me introduce you to our guest tonight and what we're going to talk about. It's a lot. It's really a lot. I found out about this organization called American Congress. I'd never heard of it. I don't really know that much about it, but its research director out of Washington, Washington, D.C. is a young man named Wells King. He graduated college at in his home state of North Carolina. He's on the line with me, and I'll introduce him in a second from North Carolina tonight, um, and went on to follow a political career. He's been in public service ever since graduation, which isn't that long ago. But he's done some amazing things, including uh, becoming a political policy advisor to the U.S. Congress Joint Economic Committee under states uh, under uh, U.S. Senator Miles Lee, Republican Utah. He's been a public fellow from the Claremont Institute, and I assume right after college he did what a lot of smart guys do. He became a consultant for McKinsey and Company. Anyway. Today, he is very involved as research director for the past year plus at American Compass. His name is Wells King. I think I should bring him on now, and we'll find out what American Compass is, and we'll get into the meat of our hour together tonight on radio. Wells, are you with me? I am. Uh, Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming on. It's late in North Carolina. (laughs) Yes, it is. But uh, anyway... First of all, let's explain to the listening audience exactly what American Compass is as a as a uh, think tank, conservative research body. What are you doing? Yeah, so American Compass um, 
we're a new organization. Um, and what we're trying to do is restore uh, an economic consensus uh, that emphasizes the importance of family, uh, community, and industry to our nation's liberty and prosperity. So what we're trying to do is, I think, bring a distinctively conservative view uh, to economic policy. Um, I think a lot of conservative institutions and organizations in Washington, D.C., that have been around for a very, very long time, uh, have done some very important work uh, in past years and decades. But oftentimes they seem to be wedded to kind of an older consensus that doesn't necessarily address, I think, some of the pressing uh, public policy challenges uh, that we have today, like uh, the decline in the American family, uh, the industrialization of, of uh, the Rust Belt, uh, in competition with China, uh, these are the types of issues that we're really trying to prioritize. And rather than, I think, try to go um, uh, with, say, um, you know, a non-conservative approach, um, you, know, you know, one that wants uh, uh, big intrusive forms of government, what we're trying to do is, I think, bring timeless principles of conservatism, of limited government, a focus on family, the importance of community and industry, uh, and really bring those to bear into our public policy challenges. How do you do that? How do you do that in a world that has become so biased and divided and is fixated on what conservatism means versus what liberalism means? And uh, how do you influence this nation that things are changing and need to change? Um, great question. Um, I really think it sort of comes down to two, I think, larger tasks. Um, the first is, I think, really defining the problems. I think if you ask someone in the left of center uh, to characterize some of the problems that we have today, um, uh, uh, you would get a very different answer from if you asked a conservative to define the problems of today. And so one of the things that we're really trying to do is to really define the nature of the economic challenges that we face. Um, what are they? What are their causes? What are the resources? And really also trying to find some that we think have been ignored by the right of center. Okay, we're going to get in, we're going to get into that. But one of the things bouncing off what you've just started to say, American Compass yeah. says that one of the objectives is to define the quote deadly sins of the right and the left. What are some of those deadly sins on each side? What is causing <laughs> this? What give me the deadly sins to to start our conversation? <laughs> uh, great question. So, um, uh, as I'm sure your listeners will agree, um, the left and right of center uh, are guided by their ideology uh, and guided by certain ideological commitments that can sometimes uh, blind them from sort of seeing reality. Some um, media people would that, some media people would pronounce it ideology. I'm sorry to say that, <laughs> but pl please continue with deadly sins. And ideology. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well with the left, um, what I think we see are a few things. Um, uh, one is identity politics, right? Um, saying and trying to reduce uh, so many of our political challenges um, to identity, right? Uh, that this identity group or intersectional group uh, has been a victim um, and really, I think, seeking to divide us up hyper-segment us uh, and the challenges that we face. It's working. Uh, I think it, it certainly It's working is. big time, Wells. It is working. It, 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 it is. You know, if somebody else, I, I, if yeah. somebody says to me that America's greatest strength is that we're a melting pot, I say, what happened to the melting? All I see is pot. Nobody's <laughs> melting anything. I'm not kidding you. So right. Who's melting? Really? Every this whole idea of diversity uniting us is dividing us. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. More yeah. deadly sins, no. please. Yep. Um, so identity politics uh, next to socialism, right? And really, I think a retro form of socialism, right? Uh, I think ignoring the lessons of history, which make it very clear uh, the path that socialism leads us down. But I think ignoring that, being nostalgic about the goals and ambitions of socialism and making that a leading goal for left-wing politics. I think that's another deadly sin of the left of center. Um, I, think, I think a third you see, and I think this is especially true when, uh, when folks talk about climate change and the environment, is catastrophism. Um, you know, we hear that 
that that coastal cities will be flooded in the next decade. Um, uh, um, uh, we hear that that many parts of the world will be unlivable within a matter of years. Now, this is not to say that climate change isn't real, that it isn't a long-term problem we need to focus on, but I think trying to catastrophize our problems uh, is one of the things that the left really does tend to do. It seems like every you know month, month, month to month, and year to year, there's a new crisis that we are facing. Uh, and usually it's a crisis that we hadn't heard of up until then. Uh, I think that this is another deadly thing that we see on the left. I think it's a very uh, good point, but I also think it's on the right as well, and I'll let you get to that when you're done with the left. <laughs> I think you're definitely right. And it was especially so true. It was about. especially true with President Trump, and we'll get to that in a minute too. But go ahead. Yes. Um, uh, fourth is what we like to call growth phobia. Um, there is a sense on the left of center, and you can get this especially in the far left, that really economic growth does not matter. We can sacrifice economic growth and pursue other ends. Um, now, look, I, I I don't think that we should sacrifice. Um, everything at the altar of economic growth. But there's a kind of uh, skepticism and wariness about economic growth and really the benefits that it presents uh, that I think leads the left of center to oftentimes ignore the trade-offs and the costs of a lot of their economic policies. Um, uh, that I think you especially see um, in sort of the AOC and Bernie wing of the Democratic Party. Um, the, 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 the fifth do you think that, that let me interrupt you, do you think yeah. that is a result of of growing up in a modern America that has been very, very class divided, maybe more so than ever in the last century, even though there's always been a very distinct uh, difference between the haves and the have nots? I think the perception of it is so great in the in the modern era because of technology and media that people that grew up poor, that AOC represents and Bernie Sanders, who grew up poor in Brooklyn, represents, they, they, these people have a life experience of second-class citizens so strong that it has obviously colored their entire uh, lives and their philosophy. And it, it lasts until today when they have all reached even levels of success. They, you cannot let go of that experience. I think that's absolutely right. I also think there's two other things going on. Um, uh, one is, I think, just the distribution of growth. If you sort of say, look, at sort of the golden era in sort of say like the late 40s, 50s and 60s, and you look at the way that economic growth, which was uh, tremendous during that period, when you look at the way it was shared across America, the gains were really broadly shared. And in fact, income in the bottom quintiles was growing faster than those at the top. Um, and that hasn't been the case in recent decades. So I think it's not just uh, a sort of a, a fear of growth, but really, to your point, a sort of uh, the fact that we haven't really sort of had the broadly shared growth that I think America rightly aspires to have. Um, and then I think it's also, I think, the regional divide that we see. Um, it's not just a class thing in America anymore. It's it ultimately is a regional divide. That's absolutely um, true. Absolutely that, true. The fact that so, so much of our economic activity and wealth and prosperity are concentrated in a few cities, um, while a lot of the rest of the country is left behind. Uh, this was obviously a core theme uh, of President Trump's campaign in 2016. Um, and I, I, I think it really is an economic reality that we have to wrestle with. And I think that's also a part of the growth phobia. Um, may, I, may I interrupt again? I'm sorry. Please. please, please. Forgive me. I, I, I could just let you talk. Uh, you have much you have much <laughs> to say. But anyway, I before we do any more deadly sins and, and switch to the yeah. right, I have to bring up yeah. the stimulus package that is that was uh, passed and signed by President Biden just the other day. Yes. And the and the big question is clearly and I know both sides of the story, I understand both sides of the story, both both sides of the political story. But my big question is in your research and in your study of American policy and legislation has any legislation lasted and been enormously successful beyond its immediacy? that comes from no bipartisan cooperation? 
Um, none that I can really think of off the top of my head, at least certainly not in recent decades. Um, I, I, you know, the, our, our, our congressional system is uh, rightly designed. The founders were so far-sighted and wanted to, uh, uh, to design the structure such that they forced compromise. And uh, later decisions by Congress for how they were going to govern themselves and introducing things like the filibuster were also key ways that they made sure um, that there was uh, consensus and compromise. We rightly, I think, value bipartisanship, and uh, we rightly should want to get people on the other side of the aisle uh, to weigh in and broker compromise. Uh, if we do want lasting policy change, I think it's very, very difficult uh, to do so um, without the support of the other side and with their ideas and considerations. Since you've been talking, since you've been talking about economic reality and and conservatism, uh, obviously the Republican side of this equation is very concerned yep. that the one point trillion plus dollar debt is outrageously high and that it will bear disaster down the road for future generations and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think, though, that the, the, the facts or the statistics are saying, or at least the media is reporting, that 85% of Americans or American, I don't know, individuals or families will receive that stimulus money. 85% of this country will get those checks. That's the entire country as far as I'm concerned. That's, that says we are not a very rich nation after all. We have a lot of people in trouble. We have a lot of people struggling. How do we fix this in terms of what American Congress is saying about revising American economic policy for families? I know that's a big deal for you. Yes, yes. Um, well, I don't think we can just solve it with checks in the mail. Um, I know that for a fact. And uh, money is obviously extremely important. And ultimately what we do want um, – uh, is to boost uh, the incomes and economic prospects of all Americans, but especially those who are struggling right now. Um, but uh, I certainly do not think uh, that the uh, source of that change and prosperity is necessarily going to come from stimulus checks alone. Um, and I think what we really do need to be focusing on um, are ways to better reward workers and to better reward work. And also, I think, to um, channel investment and increase investment in uh, strategic sectors of our economy and making sure that those investments uh, uh, are, are broadly dispersed throughout the United States and where struggling regions in particular uh, get, get the capital and investment that they need in order to thrive. I think we need to be thinking much longer term. Uh, the debt is a long-term challenge, and I think the, uh, the, the, the struggles uh, that American families face Certainly, uh, many are near-term and felt in the near-term uh, created by the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdowns. Um, but when it comes to uh, trying to make sure uh, that, 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 that these families are thriving, we have to be thinking in the long-term, and checks don't cut that kind of long-term thinking. Um, but there are, I think, a number of ways that we can be supporting American families uh, and I think some ways that I think Republicans can strategically respond to some of the things that Biden administration has done to support families. I assume we'll get into that as well. Yeah, I want to get into that specifically. Wells, we've got to take our first break. Um, thank you so much for being on tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, we're on tonight with Wells King, American Congress. I'm Bruce Cook. We will be right back. So gonna get to grabbing, go pop a phone, pop, pop a phone, turn around and drop it for a plan. Angels Radio, AM830. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. 
For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, with 24-7 support and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Come on, one more rep. You got this. Uh, ten. There it is. Nice work, man. You're a beast. Thanks, man. I feel better than I have in years. And I got to tell you, taking Nugenics makes a huge difference for me. Nugenics? That's the uh, testosterone booster with TV ads with Frank Thomas. The big hurt, right? Oh, yeah. The patented key ingredient is Testofin, which helps boost free testosterone levels and increase lean muscle mass. Well, it's clearly working for you. Hey, are they still giving out complimentary bottles for people to try for themselves? Yeah, Nugenics is a great way to increase lean muscle and feel stronger with more energy and endurance. Man, I need to get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics. No problem. You just got to send them a text. Text BELT to 42424 right now for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC. Plus, text now and we'll include a bottle of new Nugenics Thermo, our most powerful fat incinerator ever to help get you back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text BELT to 42424. That's BELT to 42424. Psst, want to hear a secret? If your family loves game night as much as mine, you should check out Kohl's. You can find amazing deals and new ways to keep everyone entertained. I got board games for under $20, 20% off a popcorn maker because snacks are a must, a $15.99 blanket for cuddling up. Then I also got an extra 20% off and Kohl's cash. So yeah, pretty sure I already won game night. Select styles, 20% offer ends March 14th. Some exclusions apply. See store or polls.com for details. Liberty. Liberty Mutual Insurance Company customizes your renter's insurance, so you only pay for what you need. Great. As a minimalist, I need simple insurance. Nice place. No furniture? Nothing sparked joy, except for this fruit bowl. Well, with Liberty Mutual, you only pay for what you need, so there's that. I mean, look, so beautiful, so... Empty again. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Angels Radio. AM 830. And we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, listening to Angels Radio. I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation tonight with Wells King. Calling in from the East Coast, North Carolina. We're talking politics. We're talking about an organization called American Congress, if you're just tuning in. It's a conservative think tank that's trying to improve this nation and look at all the aspects of our policy for families, for government, for community. Wells, before the break, we were talking about uh, the stimulus package and the idea of sending out checks and... Uh, I want to go a little bit further and ask you, I am, it is my understanding that this package also includes billions of dollars to rescue city and state governments that have mismanaged their money and they're in trouble. And in addition to that, it includes billions of dollars to rescue pension funds from businesses and in particular unions. How does this fit into what American Congress is saying about government being involved in the economy of the nation, and is this wise? Well, this certainly isn't the type of economic policy involvement that we would like to see. Um, bailing out insolvent states, especially when you look across the board at states, uh, their revenues are by and large up. Uh, a lot of states, at least sort of across the board, are actually in a better uh, fiscal situation now than they were pre-COVID. And so bailing out, I think, a lot of uh, um, state and local governments that have, for the most part, mismanaged their finances, and then also bailing out pension funds, which have mismanaged their investments, investing in a lot of alternative assets like private equity and hedge funds that have underperformed for well over a decade now, um, that bailing them out uh, and doing so under the guise of COVID relief is certainly no way uh, to be involved uh, in the economy. And there are so many other things. And that how is that going to affect? How is that going to affect long-term results? Uh, if these if these uh, pension funds and city governments that are being mismanaged continue just have a band aid, what's to stop the mismanagement from proceeding again? 
Well, that's exactly the right question. It sets a dangerous precedent for sure. Let me ask you something else. Let's switching switching a little bit. Um, I understand that one of the the mantras of, of of the American Congress is that you are representing what you're calling an anti-establishment right. What does that mean? Um, it means a, uh, a, a a way of thinking about economic policy um, that I think moves beyond the consensus that exists in Washington. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are very familiar um, with a lot of the points that President Trump made and candidate Trump made um, about the swamp uh, and about the GOP establishment uh, that was wedded to not only a particular sort of class of interests, uh, but also to a particular policy agenda, especially an economic policy uh, that didn't necessarily serve, uh, um, uh, that certainly did not serve the good of all Americans. Um, when we are anti-establishment, we mean really that we are, I think, challenging a consensus that currently exists within Washington, D.C. and within the Republican Party with what we think is a truly conservative alternative. Again, it's about restoring a conservative economic consensus that stresses the importance of family, community, and industry. You talked about um, the fact that some of these um, <clears throat> investment funds dealing with hedge funds and private equity have not performed well. Um, you use a term called coin-flipped capitalism. Could you expound on that? Yeah, so when you look at the performance of a lot of these funds, um, there are certainly some funds that do very, very well. You see this especially so in the hedge fund space where there are some funds that uh, just perform exorbitantly well. Their managers make billions of dollars each year. Um, uh, but when you look across the board at the entire industry, what you actually find is that really their returns are really no better than a coin flip. Uh, it's positive one year and negative the next. And when you look over the long term and say you just compare their performance to say just like the, you know, to say the S&P 500, to just an index fund. What you find is that actually over the long term, these funds have underperformed. And so while they charge their investors fees, regardless of their performance, and while they like to claim that they're performing especially well, and I think that most people just assume the hedge funds and private equity is just performing extremely well, right? There's continues to be a ton of capital poured into these funds. Uh, what you actually find, at least when you dig into the data, that across the board, these funds are generally underperforming, and yet they're draining and really attracting not only a lot of the nation's talent, a ton of the nation's MBA go into finance every year. Nearly a third of Harvard Business School class every year goes into finance, especially into private equity and hedge funds. But if they also just are underperforming and, uh, and, 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 and redirecting capital uh, away from more productive uses in really the real economy. What did you learn working for McKinsey as a uh, consultant in regards to all of this? What are the big companies saying about all of this? Well, so um, oftentimes in Washington, right, people like to say that here you get to see how the sausage is made in Washington, right? You get to see uh, the way that Congress works, the way that policy is crafted, the way uh, the politicos think about competing interests. Um, and my work at McKinsey, I really can't talk too terribly much about it and go into detail, but what I can say um, is that I was essentially able to, I think, really see uh, some of the ways that the sausage is made in the business world. I think the ways that, uh, that, 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 that leading corporations make decisions, um, the types of considerations uh, that are on the minds of managers and executives, um, the types of priorities that boards have. And what I found was a few things. Um, one is that the national interest and what really is, in, is best for the United States is not a consideration um, that a lot of our country's best companies and firms don't think of themselves as American companies anymore. And this, then the second thing that I That's found, a major yeah. statement, Wells. Hello? Well, I think that if you look at, yes. Major, I, major I, statement. Say it again. Uh, when you look at a lot of the biggest companies in the United States, uh, they don't think of themselves as, American companies anymore. They think of themselves as global companies and multinationals. Um, and oftentimes they're trying to make inroads into foreign markets uh, and don't necessarily think about the national interest and what's best for the United States when making those business decisions. Wow. I, I guess that shouldn't come as a surprise at all because we are, after all, a global economy. But uh, 
the repercussions of that are serious, are very serious. And uh, I think it speaks well to what you're saying about what's changing in our culture. But before we get more into that, I am remiss in changing subjects so much, but we have so much to talk about. We never, right. we never flipped back to the evil side of the right. You gave me some left uh, examples, but I want to know what the deadly sins are on the right that need to be changed or eliminated. Yes. Um, so there are a few of them. Um, uh, one is hubris. Um, I think the right uh, uh, tends to think that it has uh, the answer solved. It has cracked the code and solved the puzzle. And I think you can see this. Um, uh, one, I think the way that I think the conservatives, we certainly take pride in our country, but often I think we uh, uh, don't do the best job of seeing America's weaknesses at this particular moment in time. Uh, we know that we're an exceptional nation, um, but we, I think, often fail to appreciate the extent to which we are losing on the global stage in a number of really important domains. And so I think our sort of hubris can get in the way of really identifying true problems. Um, a second is snobbery. Uh, here really is kind of a sectarian snobbery is what we like to think, that really um, that the right of center uh, can sometimes not be the most welcoming um, uh, we are, I think, slowly but surely moving towards more of a, a you know, a multiracial and multi-ethnic party. And I think a conservatism that reflects all of America is what we should want. Um, but when you look at conservatism and the right of center, it really is still uh, uh, predominantly white, um, predominantly Christian. Now, that's not to say that there's anything wrong in that. Um, but when it comes to the exclusion of other parts of America and other people who I think do have uh, conservative instincts and a conservative outlook and conservative values, uh, I think that can come off across as snobbery, at least from those on the outside. Um, and then the last, and I think this is the really critical one um, that we at Compass are trying to address, is what we call market fundamentalism, uh, which I think is sort of the guiding philosophy of a lot of the of, 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 of our economic policy thinking and economic thinking more broadly within the right of center and especially within the conservative establishment in Washington. And basically this view says that most of our economic policy challenges can be solved by either introducing or expanding existing markets. Um, that free markets and freer markets are the solution for most of our economic policy challenges. Now, I'm a firm believer in the power of markets. I think that, 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 that a free market capitalist economy is the greatest economic system in the history of the world, and we can't abandon it, and we have to defend it, especially against the proponents of socialism in the United States and elsewhere in the world. But I don't think that we can just beat our chests about uh, the success of capitalism and think that markets are always the solution. I think there are a number of places where we actually want to maybe protect um, uh, institutions, communities, regions, and even industries from, I think, the power of markets to churn, to create, and to destroy. And that that's actually a political decision that we have to make as a nation in prioritizing what we care about and what we don't. Again, this isn't to say that we should abandon markets at all, but rather I think that we need to think about markets in a more nuanced way and think about how we can, I think, uh, enhance uh, the good that markets create and try to reduce the bads that they create as well. Let me go back to what you brought up earlier also about an emphasis on the importance of family and community and the worker. Let's talk more about that. One of the platforms of the Congress is trying to to involve and to include the working class family in in the in this discussion of economics going forward and what the differences are that are dividing people. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of, I think, the biggest challenges uh, that conservatives face and something we really need to address is thinking about the economic concerns of the working class. Um, I think this is true not only because the working class is, I think, really economically precarious today, not only because of the economic downturn and the, and the results of the COVID lockdowns, but also more broadly that I think the kind of globalized economy that we've had for the last 30 years 
um, have not benefited the American working class in the way that we would like. You can see this in the Rust Belt. You can also see this in some of the struggles in the service economy in our urban centers. Um, the economy hasn't worked for the working class that we would hope. A lot of a lot um, of those people, working. a lot of those people became very staunch Trump supporters. Why? Because Trump identified their core concerns. Um, you know, Trump may not have had um, the most policy solutions. He wasn't like Elizabeth Warren and had a plan for everything when he ran in 2016. Um, but I don't think the voters care as much about the plans as they do about people who can identify their core problems. And Trump identified the core problems, which are one that uh, large swaths of this country have either been forgotten or have been um, impoverished by uh, an economic policy uh, agenda that both parties are wedded to, which says more free trade and freer, more open borders is good for everybody. Um, this has wreaked havoc, not only in uh, large swaths of the country, but particularly in working class communities where they have seen their jobs get shipped overseas and where they're facing greater and stiffer competition uh, from immigrants from abroad. Um, Donald Trump was able to key into this. Uh, he was able to identify these economic policy challenges and highlight them. And he was also, I think, able to channel it and identify an enemy, a common enemy that these voters had. And that was a Washington establishment that failed to listen to their concerns and did not really seem to care to address them. Then why did he not follow through with that with policy to make a difference in order to change the problem? Obviously, it, whatever, it was a lot of talk because he lost the election and everything, the pendulum has swung back and everything is being thrown out. And I don't think that's being addressed. Those problems and uh, the Rust Belt problems, those people that are struggling, you know, 74 million of them that voted for him again are not happy. Well, populist candidates like Donald Trump, when they're elected, often fail to form a real counter-establishment. And Donald Trump came up against a real Republican establishment in Washington that tried to thwart him and his ultimate administration's goals. You saw this not only in trade, but in immigration, and also the prioritization of tax cuts, as, you know, as they say, as opposed to immigration reform in Congress. Um, Trump and his administration came up against the establishment in Washington, and uh, it really hurt and hampered administration and it also um, it also has potentially very damaged the republican party maybe irreparably yes. what do you say about that i mean that you know people are saying that uh, the supporters are not necessarily republican they're trump people um how does you know <laughs> as a republican yeah. as a republican organization basically as a conservative organization your congress how do you bridge that gap now this is going to be, I think, extremely difficult. I think, like a lot of populist leaders, President Trump has essentially built up a really core base of supporters who really see their loyalty to him and not necessarily to his ideas or his agenda. This, I think, creates a really fundamental problem. Uh, I don't know if there is any one solution to solve it. What I know what won't solve it is if we don't try to get to the core concerns that these voters have, and those are um, uh, that, that, that the Washington establishment and consensus have failed to address their, their, their efforts and interests. Um, I think you're, absolute, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. But the only way to do that is with great leadership that will come out of hopefully somewhere in the next year and start to make these changes. Um, I hate to stop you right now, but we've got to take our second break. Wells, stay with me. We still have so much to talk about. Everybody, I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation tonight. Los Angeles, Orange County, Inland Empire, Angels Radio. We will be right back. Angels Radio. AMA 30. Pick up 
Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News & World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Hiccup Family Neurosciences Institute, compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. If the woman you love, your mom, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, New Directions for Women can help. It's a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility that has the answer. Since 1977, New Directions for Women has helped more than 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sobriety, healthy living, restoring love and hope, and providing dignity for them and for their families. Don't waste another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call New Directions. The number is 888-786-0509. Once again, call 888-786-0509 or visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. That's New Directions for Women. They know recovery. If I'm not commuting anymore, where do I really want to live? While you handle life's questions, Merrill Guided Investing helps you manage your portfolio and invest for your next move with the option to work with an advisor at a low cost and minimum. Merrill, a Bank of America company. Visit MerrillEdge.com slash investing goals to get started today. Investing involves risk. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner, and Smith Incorporated, both a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor, member SIPC. Investment products are not FDIC-insured or not bank-guaranteed or may lose value. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Angels Radio. AM 830. We always like a little beautiful music to come into the show, especially when we're talking about tough subjects. Hello, everybody. Bruce Cook here, Angels Radio tonight with Wells King, American Congress Research Director. Wells, can the Biden administration turn this economy around after the stimulus checks all go out? Is U.S. manufacturing going to come back? Is the stock market going to be okay? And speaking of the stock market, I, I, I'm told you have some interesting comments on the GameStop disaster from last month. What does that mean? <laughs> the GameStop disaster is, I think, a kind of uh, expression of uh, – a kind of um, Trump voter-like uh, angst and anger with the sort of investment establishment. Um, it is saying uh, that the investors on Wall Street, they claim to see sort of the value in these companies. Why can't uh, the folks on Reddit do the same and just uh, state that a place like GameStop, which is, I, I think, almost surely uh, on the decline, at least in the long term, um, why can't they take it to uh, the moon, as they say? Well, they um, they certainly that, did. Yeah, and, at least and, for at and, least for a moment. Yes, certainly at least for a moment. But they also definitely got a knock in the teeth, uh, not only from Robinhood, but uh, but from the financial elites who ultimately were able to recoup a lot of their losses. Um, and uh, those that were behind the game stonk uh, rise uh, lost a lot of money in the process. It's really unfortunate, but that's the way that investing in Wall Street worked today. 
Well, moving on from that, uh, we go from the uh, ridiculous to the more dramatic. <laughs> I want to talk about the I want to talk about border policy and uh, where American Congress and you stand on what's going on now. Um, I personally am very disturbed by the administration's stance saying, please don't come. Uh, this isn't a good time, so just don't come. What kind of a policy is that? <laughs> it's not one. It's not a policy. It's just a stated preference. No, I think, um, it's, I think it's their policy. Just don't come. <laughs> well, guess what? They're coming. They're coming. Right. And we, we, we have to police our borders. Um, it is just a, a basic thing that a country does. Um, I think I, I, I happen to agree with President Trump uh, that if you don't have borders, you don't have a country. We need to enforce them. And especially if uh, uh, COVID is the threat um, that everyone in the Biden administration says it is, um, then we should take the border threat and the border crossings extremely seriously and should at least enforce them as strong as we're enforcing COVID protocols. Um, the fact that uh, we, we aren't addressing this crisis um, and that to the extent that we are, uh, we're increasingly covering it up, as you saw, say, with the Biden administration and their treatment of detention facilities for migrant families and children. Um, it, it, it is disturbing. We, we, we have to actually just state what our policy is, and we have to enforce it. Um, and we need to be consistent in doing so. And we need to use uh, the American national interest and the people's interest as being that guide for what the policy should be. And it shouldn't just be um, the, 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 the ideological whims of anti-Trump Democrats. Well, there was huge furor in previous months about the, the detaining of uh, undocumented children separated from families. Uh, we, we've heard it all, um, and there was great, great um, moral outrage over it. Now we have some reports have said thousands, others have said hundreds, I don't know what the truth is, of, of unaccompanied, undocumented minors entering the country. And from the humanitarian perspective, you have to understand that for a parent in Mexico or Guatemala and Honduras to send a, a child of any age on their own to a strange place with no support is a desperate parent trying to find a better life for their kid. I get that. But on the other hand, when they get here, what's going to happen to them and why Why and how can the government deal with this? These children have no skill. They have no education. They, As you said, COVID is a concern. Where are they going to go? I mean, we can house them in a dormitory for a while, but where are they going to go? How are they going to place them into society and it, they, it is it is mind-boggling. It absolutely is a mind-boggling challenge. And as to where they go, I, I, I really do not know. I, I never want to see a broken family. And if, if, the, um, if, 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 if those families see it as the solution to their economic and social plight is to separate and send their kids across, I, that is a root challenge uh, that the United States is uh, – you know, somewhat well positioned, I, I, I have to think, to be able to address um, uh, with our neighbors to the south. Um, and addressing that root cause, addressing that root problem, as opposed to making it easier for these children to cross the border um, without their parents, uh, and in a sense, enabling the separation of these families, I don't think that that's a sound policy. We really need to state that we want to keep families together, and we don't just mean when they cross the border. We also mean before they cross the border. We certainly don't want families to feel like they need to send their kids uh, unaccompanied. Well, um, it's it's a so horrible they, horrible situation, and you can't imagine that somebody would do this. But desperation desperation causes some very drastic moves. Certainly, yeah. certainly. Okay, what is going to what does your crystal ball say about the next year in terms of government and elections? We're coming into an election year. Uh, in a in a, in another year, and is the pendulum going to swing back again, or are we going to move forward in a democratic progressive mode? Well, um, 
the, the, the House of Representatives is Republicans to lose, uh, as far as I see it. Um, uh, it, it would require a, a really incredible performance by Democrats, one we haven't seen in about two decades in order to be able to keep the House of Representatives. That, 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 the, 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 the pendulum in the House always swings, depending on the occupant of the White House. And um, Republicans in the House should definitely see the majority of theirs to lose. Um, and with that in mind, I think that Republicans really should keep their eye on the ball and focus on, I think, a number of core policy questions that are kind of come up. I think one that's definitely going to be up for debate, it'll be up for debate next year, um, is family policy. Uh, the Biden administration essentially passed a child allowance. They're going to be sending um, checks to, uh, to, to families with children. These are going to, I think, be enormously popular. They're set to expire in a year. And at that point in time, I think there's going to be a big debate in Congress about whether to extend that program. Democrats are going to say yes and perhaps to make it more generous. And Republicans have to have a response especially going into an election year that's theirs to lose. They have to have a response, and we have to be thinking, um, what is a better conservative alternative to what Biden's proposal? Because let me, I don't think we can just say no. Let me ask you one question to think about. Uh, we have to take our third break, Wells. Are we a welfare state? Think about that while we take our last break and come back and we'll finish. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Bruce Cook Conversation, and we'll be back right back. Radio AMA 30. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash Help. Angels baseball is back. That ball is the Halos are heating up in the Arizona sun while they warm up for the regular season. Home run, Mike Trout. It's a primer for Mike Trout and company as they take on the rest of the Cactus League. And you can catch Angels spring training games exclusively on Fox Sports West or stream them live on Fox Sports Go. Fox Sports West and Fox Sports Go. Your home for Angels baseball. If you have unfiled taxes or are in debt to the IRS, this is important news. The IRS just rolled out a new program to help struggling taxpayers more easily resolve their tax problems. It's called the Taxpayer Relief Initiative, and it opens up powerful new options for people looking to get back on the right track with the IRS. And no one knows this program like the professionals at Optima Tax Relief, America's most trusted tax resolution company. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients and have the expertise and experience to help you. One easy call to Optima can start the process, helping to put an end to your worries of wage garnishment, asset seizure, and other aggressive IRS actions. Make today the beginning of your fresh start with the IRS. Call the experts at Optima Tax Relief now for your free confidential consultation. Call 800-375-2922. 800-375-2922. 800-375-2922. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Switch to T-Mobile for Business and get up to 90 days of service free via virtual rebate on your business plan. You get a great deal, the largest 5G network, and first-class benefits like Microsoft 365 on us. It's better for business and only with T-Mobile for Business. Limited time offer. Stop in-store for details. Plus taxes and fees for some plans. Virtual Express MasterCard within eight weeks of receipt of valid submission. Complete port within 60 days. See T-Mobile.com for 5G devices coverage and plan details. 
Eagles Radio. AM 830. Hey, 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 indeed, we are back. I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation live on radio tonight. Wrapping up with Wells King, American Congress Research Director. Question before the break, are we really becoming a welfare state? We are, uh, it seems like, taking gradual steps toward it, I would have to say. Um, and uh, with, with, with the growth and spread and popularity of unconditional payments um, in sort of the form of a stimulus check and now uh, with the Biden child allowance, um, I, we, we, we haven't yet become that kind of complete welfare state, um, but, it, but, but we certainly have the potential to become one. And we have to address this by, I think, providing uh, a much better, more alternative, more, more, more conservative and potentially more popular alternative. Some uh, of our leaders, some of our leaders in uh, government are proposing both on Republic, both on both sides, actually. I've heard it on Republican and Democrat sides proposing a guaranteed monthly income for Americans. Is this, is this capitalism? <laughs> well, there are a number of countries that uh, provide uh, um, these similar types of payments that are a capitalist country. Um, but I think, I think the more important question is, uh, what, what is the basis of these payments, right? Is it one of reciprocity? Are we trying to reward work? What exactly is the goal here? Um, and it seems like we aren't actually really trying to reinforce good that we do. We aren't necessarily trying to reinforce families by targeting these checks to families. We aren't necessarily trying to encourage work or promote work by addressing these and sending these only to workers and requiring work. Instead, we're just are, are sending them out unconditionally to all Americans. I don't think that sends the right message. Um, is it a capitalist one? Uh, probably not. Uh, is an American one? I definitely do not think it is. It's because um, we, we have... We, we, we're a country of 350 plus million people. It's too, this nation is too large. There's too much going on. The government can't do what you're suggesting in terms of focusing on the target areas. They they don't ha with all the bureaucracy. They don't have the ability. I believe. Well, we definitely weren't able to target relief payments during COVID, and a lot of that is just because, uh, believe it or not, uh, the infrastructure and the actual capacity of the federal government is quite weak and unsophisticated. The computers themselves couldn't handle the type of targeting that we needed to do to target relief during COVID. Uh, that was certainly used as a justification for universal payments as, COVID, um, as forms of COVID relief. Uh, I don't know if, it, if that'll be used as the basis for universal checks going forward, uh, but that is certainly something we need to address, the ability to target our payments whenever we do have a market downturn going forward. Wells, we're out of time. I I've got so many questions to ask you. Maybe I can get you to come back again some other time. Um, that would be great. Conclude by wrapping us up with what your goals are in the coming weeks and months, and then please share your website or a phone number or any kind of contact information if anyone listening wishes to follow up directly with American Congress or your office. Yeah, so uh, in terms of the next year, we really are thinking about what does the American economy look like coming out of COVID? How can we bring back our supply chains? How can we invest and expand the American family, make it stronger? And how can we make sure that there are supports for workers as they get back on their feet and back into the workforce and helping conservatives in Washington, D.C. think about these challenges and alternatives to the Democrats' uh, proposals that they will inevitably be introducing? Um, in terms of the best way to contact us, you can go to our website, americancompass.org, A-N-E-R-I-A-C-A-N, uh, compass, C-O-N-P-A-S-S dot org. My name's Wells King. Uh, you could contact us there and read our stuff on our website. Um, uh, and I am happy to continue the, the discussion at a later date and, and, uh, and uh, to respond to notes and messages. One last quick thing. How effective do you think you're going to be in relating these ideas of your organization to the establishment, the Republican establishment? Well, so far, we've received a really positive response, and I think we're going to be very effective, I think in part because uh, some of us uh, have been inside the organizations that guide the establishment. I've been in the Senate and in McKinsey. I've seen the way these people think. I know a lot of these people, and, uh, and I think can craft the message and really identify 
their core problems. At the end of the day, we really want a stronger America. Uh, we want stronger families and stable communities. We share these goals. It's just a matter of how best to achieve them. And I think we have the best ideas, and I think that will win the day. Thank you for sharing that. I think our listeners had a very interesting hour with you, a very different perspective they're not used to hearing. Uh, I think there's optimism in, in your perspective also, which is very, very good and very refreshing because we need it. We definitely need it. Thank you so much for being on. All the best to you. Be safe, be careful, and good night. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for joining me again this week on Angels Radio. I'm Bruce Cook, and I say the same to all of you listeners. Be careful, be safe, be wise, be smart, and all the best of luck always. Good night, and come back again next day, 6 o'clock. You've been listening to The Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear The Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>